if you want to avoid all the sickness this winter, the snotty noses, the coughs, the colds, the sleepless nights, the fevers, the Panadol and the antibiotics, the ear infections, the grumpy, tired kids, the days off work and school and childcare, are all those memories of last winter coming back? I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to be that way this winter. I have a free online masterclass, three simple ways to boost your kids' immunity to avoid a winter full of sickness. It's on demand, meaning you can register and watch it straight away or watch it at a time that is convenient for you. Head on over to naturalsuperkids.com forward slash immune and you will be able to sign up. In the masterclass, I am covering our natural, simple and effective approach to avoiding winter infections, how to boost your family's immunity with our proven three-step naturopathic strategy that is really easy for you to implement as a busy mum. We're going to talk about the immune depleters that you need to avoid so you're not wasting time and money building up your kids' immunity that is just being depleted by these common foods and environmental factors. I am sharing heaps of practical tips. I promise it will be an hour well spent. You can register again at naturalsuperkids.com forward slash immune. I can't wait to hear how you find it and to give you the tips to make this winter healthier. Welcome to the Natural Super Kids podcast, where you will discover practical strategies to inspire you to boost the health and nutrition of your kids. I'm Jessica Donovan, a qualified naturopath specializing in kids' health, and I want to make it as easy as possible for you to raise healthy and happy kids. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Natural Super Kids podcast. Today I am joined by a guest, Morgan Hammond, who is a speech pathologist. And we are specifically talking to Morgan today about how oral dysfunction can lead to feeding difficulties, such as picky eating and fussy eating. And we talk about how these feeding difficulties relate to breathing and a child's sleep, their behavior, and of course, their nutrition. Uh, Morgan also shares some tips on what to look for when you know seeking out help from a speech pathologist when it comes to oral dysfunction and feeding issues, because it's not something we often or many of us often think about a speech pathologist being able to help with. So here's Morgan. Hello, Morgan. Thank you so much for joining me. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. (laughs) I'm really excited about this chat too. I think our listeners are going to love this one. So can you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be doing the work you're doing today? Yeah. So I am, first and foremost, I'm a mum. I've got two young boys. So I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So very much in the thick of um, little kids. So two boys. Um, and I am a speech language pathologist and I work in private practice. 
Um, and I have a particular interest in early intervention and, and feeding as well. So, um, yeah, so the thing that got me, I guess, into into this area was mainly that drive of having your own children. I think when you've got your own experiences and personal experiences, it really does drive you to have a particular interest in a certain area. Yeah. Definitely. That was my story as well. My kids are a bit yeah. older than yours. I've got a 12 and a 14 year old. So we're in those, those fun teenage years. Yeah. <laughs> Just Don't when... tell me I'm mopping my ears. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but I'm really interested because I don't think a lot of people would link a speech pathologist and feeding therapy. So yes. tell us a little bit more about what motivated you to, to branch into feeding therapy besides, you know, being a mum yourself. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize that speech pathologists are also, um, oh, that's my. <laughs> I'm so sorry. An interruption from a little person. That's absolutely yes. fine. We keep it real here. <laughs> yes, that was my four-year-old. Okay, so what motivated me to get into this area? So, um, yes, a lot of people don't realise that speech pathologists um, also get involved with feeding. So we work with anything communication, but we also work um, with swallowing as well. So mm. obviously we have that in-depth knowledge of anatomy of head and neck. And um, so, yeah, that's where that's a really big area um, for speech pathologists is to be involved mm. in swallowing, which obviously leads into you've got that oral phase of the swallowing. So nice. I work more in that area. Um, and, yeah, so like leads into a bit of feeding therapy as well. So, yeah. So in your private practice, are you seeing predominantly like kids that are have, struggling with, with feeding? Tell us a bit more about the sorts of kids that you're, you're helping. Yeah. So feeding is definitely something that does come up because a lot of people seek out speech pathologists for obviously your speech and language side of things, communication side of things. Um, as I ask more questions, it's very, very common that we, oh, yeah, they're so picky. They've got such a restricted diet. Um, in the beginning, I I was in education when I had first graduated, so I did kind of stick to that traditional speech pathology route of speech, language, literacy mm-hmm. side of things. Um, I learned the basics at uni, did do placements with swallowing and feeding, um, but didn't really do it in the beginning, but then bring in your own kids their own they've both got personally um have had some difficulties with their feeding mm. um and then we've had obviously all the normal picky eating developmental stages as well um and yeah and as you start to I guess have your own kids and you have to you you realize how much stress can come around meal times and can come around um not wanting to eat a particular thing or going to the in-laws or your parents or whatever and your kids yeah. not eating properly and all of that um pressure so yeah i think that my own kids um really did kind of get me into it and then um as you in a clinical setting as you're asking more questions and putting all those pieces together of the whole child um that then kind of put it together for me. And I then did go into more feeding therapy, which I absolutely love. So all of those, when you look at all the research on the socioeconomic outcomes, the mental health outcomes on kids that just share a meal together and do have that varied diet, it's just amazing. So I love that aspect of it, of working with the families to try and bring that family anxiety down and Mm -hmm. get some more nutrition happening and get that kid um, participating in 
in meal times. Meal so. times, yeah, I love that. And I think as you know, before we become mums, we have this vision of sitting around the table, you know, lovely yeah. conversation with yeah. our kids, eating the food that we put in front of them. But yeah. I know here at Natural Super Kids, like it's one of the biggest challenges that we hear from parents is the oh, picky eating, yeah, the fussy yeah. eating. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about how feeding difficulties can relate to breathing, to sleep, to behavior, and to nutrition? Okay, so this one is a big question. I feel like it can be something that could be covered over like a four-day PD or something. (laughs) I'll try and very kind of um, succinctly um, give a bit of a taster of of it. Um, But so there's lots of components to feeding therapy. So I obviously will work on the environment, so work on getting a really good routine happening. giving the parents some pointers of different language that they can use around food. So trying to take that pressure down, um, bring the anxiety down in the parent, bring the anxiety down, in the, which therefore then brings anxiety down in the child. Um, so I do work a lot on that, on even just having that exposure. So even if the child won't eat um, mm-hmm. rock melon, strawberries, carrot, anything like that, but working on having that exposure there um, mm-hmm. of all different types of food getting the child involved in meal prep and things like that. Um, so that's a massive component. Um, the area that I work with mostly is more around that oral dysfunction. So right. when I say oral dysfunction, that's where they've got, they don't actually have the adequate skills for feeding development. So they, no matter what foods you give them, if they don't have the skill, they can't eat it. So there might be a raw carrot. If they don't have that oral motor skill, to be able to chew on that carrot, they won't eat it. Mm-hmm. So no matter how much exposure you have, no matter how much the, how good the environment um, factors are, um, you really need to work on those skills of it feeding as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I do um, work mainly in that space, but obviously everything else ties in with it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that oral dysfunction, there's a lot of different causes of it. Um So it's usually generally there's a medical um, underlying medical difficulty. Mm -hmm. So it could be that they've got ENT issues. Mm -hmm. So if you think a child that's um, chronically sort of blocked up, they're not breathing optimally. If you think of when you have a cold and you're chewing a piece of steak and a piece of steak is going to take a long time for you to chew Mm -hmm. and you're like, I can't, are you having to stop to take breaths through your mouth? Um, it can make it difficult and they're not going to enjoy it. So those ENT kids that have got a lot going on in their airways, that can really um, impact. Um, Obviously, gut is a big one as well, which is coming out a lot more lately, which is awesome that that people are more aware. Um, If you don't feel good in your gut, you are not going to be wanting to eat. So if you're associating nausea, um, discomfort, pain, um, mm-hmm. even if they are constipated because of the lack of diet, like lack of variety in their diet, they then got constipation, their hunger um, signals get impacted um, and they aren't going to feel comfortable and wanting to sit down and have a meal and try different things. Yeah. Um, allergies also can hold, like have an impact. Um, sensory needs, so different sensory needs that the kids might have. They might want something that's really crunchy and loud. They might want something that's not so, um, doesn't have such a, such a strong fa- flavour. They might really like cold things but not hot things. Mm. Um, so all of that can play into it. 
um, which makes it quite complex. <laughs> yeah, but I guess you, someone like you can help people get to the the bottom of what's going yeah. on. Because for a parent, that can be really confusing. Why will they only eat, you know, this yeah. particular yeah. food? Like it's really hard to get to the bottom of that as a parent. Yeah, because you like you can. You can um, provide them with everything. You can do all, like I was saying before, you can do all those amazing things like provide the exposure and mm. have all the foods there and provide it, but they they may not have the skills to be able to do it. So, um yeah, so it's kind of having that piece of the puzzle in there as well. Um, so, and also, even if all of these things are resolved, so say they do have really enlarged adenoids or tonsils, which is impacting their breathing, a lot of the time, <coughs> excuse me, um, a lot of the time, if they've had these patterns for a long period and formed these habits of kind of mouth breathing while eating, mm-hmm. everything gets resolved um, medically, everything gets removed um, by surgery and things like that, they may still keep these bad habits. Um, going mm. um also their oromotor um their structures and their oral cavity can grow differently in the period where they were impacted by this medical mm. issue so um yeah you can often have these difficulties linger and stay around even after um, medical intervention um so that's why it's important and you've also then oh, had a prolonged period of time when negative associations may have been yeah. formed at meal times. So if you think <coughs> excuse me, if you think for um like say there's been a year or something like that they've had some ENT issues and every meal time is a stress. Every meal time is annoying. Every meal time their everyone's anxiety is high. Um there's a lot of pressure or you've gone into bad habits of putting a television on to make them eat and things like that just anything you can do to get by um or bribing with dessert just to get them to eat that extra bit of broccoli all of those things those environmental things you can see how they all really commonly can come in in those times of um of distress around um eating so those all play a big factor um you've also got like they're they're not then developing their motor patterns while they're while they have a restricted diet then they're not developing new motor patterns to be able to take on trickier foods um so they're kind of stagnant in that delayed um or motor pattern um and yeah like i said before they've got negative associations with food they've might have done a lot of gagging they might have been vomiting and it can just be a really stressful full time for families so yeah, yeah it's um, really complex and i love what you said is, like you yeah. know even a even if you get to the bottom of what's going on, like if it's a medical issue and that gets resolved, it doesn't mean that the the feeding issue will just change like Magic that overnight. No, definitely not. And I guess that's where you look at that um, sleep and behaviour and things like that. You can see how if you've got limited nutritional intake, that's going to be impacting on your behaviour. That's going to be impacting on good quality sleep. Um if they have breathing difficulties, um, they're not going to be sleeping that well because they're probably going to be snoring, mouth breathing, um, not getting really good quality sleep, which then also impacts behaviour the next day. So it is all very much intrinsically um, connected. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where that really thorough kind of initial consultation to get that really good picture of the child and um, all of those basic functions, feeding, sleep, behaviour, all of that and kind of asking about um, all those just different elements. So, yeah. yeah, and it can really be a negative cycle, can't it? Like yeah. you said, with the constipation, this is something we see commonly at Natural Super Kids, you know, constipated kids and they're fussy and that causes more constipation yes. because they're, they're yeah. not getting the, the you know, diversity of fibres and things in there. So it's really Definitely. like first and foremost 
figuring out what's going on with, yeah. with what came first, the chicken or the egg. And yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, addressing the the cause, but then also knowing that it, it's not going to sort of change overnight. And I yeah. imagine that do you work with other professionals as well? Or yeah, like, so yeah. yeah, it's very much a multidisciplinary approach. So mm-hmm. I guess the speech pathology side of things, we work on that. Um the motor skills, we work on the so motor skills, we work on the actual like feeding therapy, working on the environment and things like that. But we do really rely on our occupational therapists to help us with the sensory side of things. <laughs> um, in terms of the medical courses, so you really rely heavily on your gastroenterologist, your ENTs, um, dentists for like if they need tongue tie releases, if there's something there or a motor-wise that is being impacted by the tongue tie or lip ties and things like that. And obviously then your nutritionists and dietitians um, to work in with saying, all right, this is where they're at, oromotor-wise. They're having difficulties with this type of food. What can we get happening um, that's kind of at their level and get them to have a bit of a play around with that um, to make sure we're getting really optimum nutrition in there. Um, so, yeah, it is very much a multidisciplinary team, even body workers, physios, osteopaths, chiropractors, um, getting their help if there is any issues with the structures of the head or neck, they've got extra tension on one side or mm. all of that plays into it as well. So, yeah, it's very much a multidisciplinary approach. Yeah, and I, even though this is very complex and some some parents listening might go, oh, where do I even start? It is very complex. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but at least like, you know, it can also be uh, assuring for parents to know that these things are common and eating, yes. like I think we we expect it to be something that comes really naturally to kids yeah. and it does to most kids, but they're, you know, it's actually quite complicated eating the whole the process it is of so eating. complicated like I said you can have all those environmental impacts you can have motor problems you can have sensory issues that are causing it like there's so many different um root causes of feeding difficulties so yes yes and I think for parents out there to know that you know there are all these different types of professionals that can help so if you've you know if you've been seeking seeking help and you haven't really gotten very far then maybe yeah. it's time to to look at a bit of a, a different approach. Yeah. Um. So how do we know? You know, what are some of the things that we should be looking out for when it comes to this oral dysfunction? How do we know that our kids are not just you know just kind of fussy picky eaters, or there's something more going on? Yeah. You generally, I always say to parents, if you are in doubt, if it is causing you anxiety or stress, just ask the question. Just go see somebody and ask the question um, because there's nothing worse than having that gut feeling as a parent, being stressed about it and someone saying, oh, my son was like that at that age. He'll grow out of it. He'll be fine. Um, It can just be very reassuring to reach out to a professional and say, look, I feel like this. I need a little bit of help um, and just getting them to check everything over. Um, Some of the main things to look out for is obviously if they do have gut issues, if they're complaining about um, discomfort, if there's vomiting, if there's constipation and things like that, Um, looking into their sleep. So is your child a mouth breather um, during the day or especially when sleeping? Are they mouth breathing? Are they snoring? Um, Are they up a lot, Um, having nightmares? That kind of indicates they're having a very light sleep. Um, do they have a restricted diet, which is obviously a big um, a big one that gets the ball rolling. Um, what does the restriction look like? So if you're noticing a child's only eating very easy to eat foods like a chicken nugget or yogurt or just those really soft foods, um, if they're preferencing that, um, 
how long does it take them to eat? If your child takes a really long time to eat, that can be a sign that they're having difficulty with their oromotor um, movements when eating. Um, are they a messy eater? That can sometimes indicate that they're having a bit of difficulty with controlling the food. Um, are they spitting food out? Is they gagging? Are they pocketing food? Like they'll put food into the sides of their mouth. Um, do they have food left in their mouth after they've swallowed? can also um, be indicators. So I don't know if I've gone on a bit of a tangent, but those are things that if you've, yeah, my main thing would, advice would be to parents. So if you are in doubt, just ask the question, just go and speak to somebody. You will not regret having a consult with somebody and um, yeah, getting some advice. It will, you will never re- regret it because you might get the help that you need or you might get that reassurance that things are okay or what to look out for um, if it lasts for a certain amount of time. So, yeah. And I think what you said before is really relevant. You know, you want to get on top of this stuff as soon as possible so they don't build on those kind of negative habits, right? Yeah. Yeah. And while they're developing as well, you want to think of their growth and their patterns that they're forming in their um, oral cavity. Um, You really yeah, want to get on it when they're in that childhood stage and when they're younger, um, as young as possible. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. So, so many things to think about. That is, um, yeah, yeah, that's great. (laughs) And so what, do you have any advice in terms of finding the right professional? Like if someone out there is listening and going, I really want to find a speech pathologist in my area um, that has experience with, with feeding. Yeah. Um, I would be just asking the question of, do are you confident with feeding therapy? Or, um, yeah, so not just booking in because there are some, like like myself, I didn't do feeding therapy in the first few years out of um, university. I was mm-hmm. in a different field um, and have only gone into it in the last um, few years. And, yeah, I back when I was doing education, things like that, I wouldn't have been able to really provide much on feeding but the basics that I learned at university. So mm-hmm. asking the questions, I have a problem eater. Do you have anyone that works with feeding? So, yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. Same with OTs and everything as well. So, do you have anyone that works with feeding therapy? Yes, because these sort of like modalities and professionals, they're quite broad, you know. So so broad, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So important to find someone who's got that experience in in feeding. Thank you so much for joining me today and and sharing your wisdom. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, hopefully it was helpful. I mean, it's a big, big, big topic, but hopefully it's still a bit of a taster of um things to yeah, just to be a bit more mindful of moving forward so yeah yeah definitely and just to plant those seeds and give yeah. parents hope that you know that there is things that can be done yeah um and fussy eating isn't normally like it, it's not always actually it's it's more often not just yeah. your child being you know a pain in the bum <laughs> there is yeah it is is there is always usually something underlying um outside of those normal developmental picky eating phases um yeah there's something underlying happening there Yeah. So thank you for um, shedding light on this topic. No worries. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Head on over to our website, naturalsuperkids.com for the show notes for this episode, as well as a whole heap of inspiration to help you raise healthy and happy kids. I'll see you next week.
before you go, don't forget about my free online on-demand masterclass, Three Simple Ways to Naturally Boost Your Kids' Immunity to Avoid a Winter Full of Sickness. I'm sharing my practical tips on ways that you can strengthen your whole family's immune system to avoid the onslaught of winter infections so your family can stay healthy and well this winter. You can sign up at naturalsuperkids.com forward slash immune.